You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast, and tonight we're going to be discussing Carrie versus Jason Voorhees as we take a look back at Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood. You, no trouble. Me, fifth element. Supreme being. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death, praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. Welcome to the podcast. Happy Friday the 13th. We're your host. I'm Brian Elkins. And with me tonight, Mr. Paul Williams. What's up? Always excited on a Friday the 13th to discuss one of these terrific Jason Voorhees films. And we're doing the seventh installment because it's uh, the 30th anniversary. It came out in 1988. Yes. Yes, it is. It's celebrating 30 years. I, I really enjoy doing these you know, Friday thirteenth movies on Friday the thirteenth. It's our tradition. I, I, yeah, it's it's kind of become like a little tradition of ours. And to do this one, because um, the last one, the last uh, Friday movie we talked about was part six, and to come back and do this one, I no, it's part three. Is the last one we did. Oh yeah, part three was the last one we did. Yeah, it's, we, it's been that long. It's been that long since we done a Friday thirteenth. But yeah, you know, parts four, six, and seven were always probably my personal favorites. Uh, this is probably my favorite of the zombie Jasons. You know, like uh, taking from part six yeah. to the rest of the series, um, I guess up until the uh, remake or the reboot, whatever it was, in 2009. Uh, yeah. I think this is my favorite. I don't know. I like part six a lot, too. I like the elements a little bit more in this one. I, I guess in terms of, like, the story. I like the story idea yeah. of putting Carrie versus Jason, and I really like the way Jason looks. All the Friday the 13th movies, I still will say I think Jason looks the best in this in this particular Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, and look, this is the one that they put, like, the shot of him um, with the axe oh, opening the door, getting ready to kill um, uh, the Melissa character. Dude, that's the yeah. box art. That's the shot of Jason on the Nintendo game. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, I, I this movie, I remember, like, I remember this in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. There was a promo yeah. on, uh, man, I forget what show it was on, but they were doing like a little behind the scenes and like doing a little movie promo um, for part seven. I caught it on television and man, dude, it, it looked so amazing. It, it, it looks a lot more expensive than the movie actually cost. Yeah, it did have a really, really low budget. And what was it like? Two point 
eight million, two point five, two point eight million. Yeah, I've like seen two point five. I've you know I've I've also seen all the way up to three point five, but I don't know. I'm gonna stick with two point five million being the budget. Um, yeah. That may be with like marketing and all that stuff added on to it. But I mean, it, dude, it's a super, it's super low budget. I mean, for a franchise movie, even in '88, it's super low. You know, like I was just looking for, I guess, for nerd reasons. I, I wanted to just compare like some other movies that came out in the horror genre, just budget ratio. And this, you know, this yeah. is a big movie. But The Conjuring came out that had a budget of 20 million, and that was in uh, 2013. So I, I was curious. I was like, oh, I wonder what this. $2.5 million budget for Friday the 13th was for 2013. And, dude, it was like $5.7 million. So even adjusted for inflation, it's like a fourth of The Conjuring's budget for a franchise movie. Like, this is the seventh sequel. Like, you think they would have like put a little yeah. bit more money into it? You know, I'll still say with with the money that was used on the budget, I still feel like, you know, this movie is probably one of, if not the best looking Friday the 13th. Ooh, one of the best looking. I don't know. I love I love the way 6 is shot. I love the way 4 is shot. I love the way 2 and 3 are shot. I just thought they looked more expensive than they actually were. You like, just I feel like, like the movie, lighting going off, don't you? You're like, oh man, look at the lightning flashes. Those oh, are so uh, sexy. A lot of the lighting, especially the outside lighting, I really do enjoy in this movie. Did, did you notice that they uh, almost every time they went inside, there was lightning flashing, but there was never a thunderstorm? Yeah, I, yeah, you, you never, never hear any thunder. Or anything. Yeah, you never. Well, I don't know if you don't hear thunder. You may you may hear thunder in the background on a couple of those, but you, you sure as hell don't see it rain ever in an exterior shot. No, no, it doesn't. No. I think this is one of the only Friday the 13th movies that don't doesn't actually have rain in the movie. Yeah, in part two, they even think, use it as a plot device to keep... Uh, oh, even in part one, where to keep people separated, yeah. where it's like, oh, I can't go there because yeah. of the thunderstorm. It's raining so bad. Yeah. Or to I mean, delay it's used people. In part one, it's used in part two. Is there a thunderstorm in part three? There uh, might not be one. You know, I remember there I being light, lightning four. flashes, but it may just be like in this movie where it's just like, you know, a lighting gag and it's not yeah, no, no actual rain. It's just it's just heat. It's just heat lightning. <laughs> Man, Crystal Lake. Ironically enough. Yeah. Well, ironically enough, anybody with two eyes can tell that this movie was not filmed in the summer or spring or fall of the year. No, it was it was filmed in uh, it was filmed in Alabama during the uh, during the summer. No, it was filmed in Alabama during like the dead middle of winter. What was it? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's right. Yeah, that that's right. You're right. It was exterior shots. There are no leaves on any of the trees. That's right. It was filmed in the winter time. Most of the stuff in terms of behind the scenes, outside of things on the Blu-ray, most of the information I'm pulling directly from that Crystal Lake uh, Memories book. And then, yeah, that's a a really good read. If you're a fan of Friday Thirteenth, highly recommend it. I know we've talked about it on the show before. If you don't have it yet, you're a fan. You need to get it because it is good. Because man, there's some things that that are in that book that they don't even cover on any of the making of. I like I had no idea that from like once they had the script until the movie came out in theaters, that was less than six months. It was like five months time they had to make this film. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a rush job and and a bit. Um, Dude, that is that is insane. I mean, can you imagine like well, apparently here's a script. Go make a movie. Let me score it. Let me cut it. You know, much less go shoot it. Like, I mean, you're out there for like, what? I don't know. What were they out there? Five weeks shooting that? Six weeks? Yeah. I mean, you didn't have a lot of time. And 
from what I understand that um, the MPAA slaughtered this freaking movie, and not only did the MPAA slaughter it, but there was apparently Barbara... Oh, Barbara Sacks? Yeah, Barbara Stack, yeah. Apparently, you know, it really sucks when you're working on a movie and you've got one of the people that kind of should be on your side as a director telling you your ideas are stupid and they're going to kind of pull rank on you. Oh, uh, yeah. Who is that? Uh, it's Barbara Sachs, the associate producer that was given the uh, director, uh, John Beekler, uh, quite, quite a hard time, man. Uh, well, you know, yeah. it sounded like everybody didn't really get along that well because the writer has nothing nice to say about the director. Like, I mean, he's quoted as like straight up, I hated that guy. I thought he was a Well, slug. I mean, the writer, the, the original writer didn't have much really nice to say about anybody that worked on that film. Well, yeah, that's true. Like, he, apparently, like, he got screwed out of getting paid, and, oh, yeah, he, he had nothing nice to say. And the other, <clears throat> the other person, Manuel, I, I forget what his name is, Manuel something, but that guy, that, it's a pseudonym. It's not even a real person. Well, I mean, it's a real person, but, you know, it's like some union guy that got paid half this guy's salary to finish writing the script. <laughs> And then the rest of the money went back into production. And this guy who did like, I don't know what, did he do 10 drafts or something like that? I forget how many he said he did. But, you know. Yeah, it, I think it was something like 10, 10 to 15 drafts. I mean, I'd be so pissed. I mean, I understand why he's mad. You know, your ass would be a little chapped about something like that. You know, I think anybody's would be. I want to see that guy on the behind the scene interviews. Like, I want to see him, like, just spill it. Well, I mean, from what, you know, from what he's quoted saying in the in the book, he he royally got screwed. Yeah, and he had nothing. Uh, the writer, uh, Daryl Haney, he had nothing nice to say about that uh, Barbara Sachs Um who she was a she has the title of associate producer and I was I had to look up this up because I was wondering I was like how does she have so much power but apparently she was like some kind of senior VP at Frank Mancuso uh, Junior's company uh. and she was from the TV series because the Friday Thirteenth TV show started like right it started in between six and seven and Frank mm-hmm. Mancuso Junior he was working on that and he had a team all built up and he pushed some of the people that were on the TV show onto part seven. I don't know. I, it seems like it was just too many cooks in the kitchen, and well, actually, he, a lot of people. He, uh, he come man. back. He come back to direct part nine, didn't he? Uh, the guy I can't remember his damn name right now, but I think he was like the director of the of the TV show or something. Oh, I, man, I don't know. I didn't do any research on that, brother. And you know, that's oh, I didn't either. That's but not what it was. Just something that I do. I just remember from watching, you know, like the behind the scenes or the featurettes on the on the Blu-ray. <laughs> the associate producer, she really gave, uh, she really gave um, the director a really, really, really hard time. Yeah, between her and, and made him change and, quite and a bit. BAA. Yeah, well, like do I you, said, do between. You, what? I mean, I, Look, I mean, I get behind some of these MPAA cuts. I mean, if you're a Friday fan, you know that this is the one that got cut the most by the MPAA. But, dude, mm. you know, watching it and looking at the deleted scenes, they, they did cut a whole lot out. But the way everybody on the behind the scenes was making it sound like, and the director was making it sound like, oh, they, they ruined my movie. And it's like, man, you're you're losing a couple scenes of gore. I mean, I understand it's of his Friday 13th movie. It is important, but I mean, like ruined your movie. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? It's, it's a little, it seems a little exaggerated to me, a little, a little blown out of proportion. You know what I mean? 
I don't think we ever said this, but, you know, Belcher was a special effects guy. He designed some of these crazy-ass, over-the-top special effects. Like, um, the one guy, he gets his, he designed this head that would literally collapse down to a sixteenth of the size of itself. I think they said a walnut. And that was, yeah, a walnut, yeah. They, that was completely cut out. So, you know, there was money put into that special effect. And that money pretty much got lost because it never got to be put in the movie because it was cut by the MPAA. No, no. I Look, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't suck. I'm not saying as a, as a Friday 13th fan, I, I would totally like to see that gore added back in the movie. It's never going to happen because all we have left are VHS dailies because the actual film is destroyed. So it's never going to be able to yep, be added. Those VHS dailies look like dog doo-doo do even on the Blu-ray. Yeah. They look really bad. Well, I mean, the Blu-ray is not—it's still VHS. You know, you can't—you can't make pixels that don't yeah. exist. I just think the director. I mean, look, and John John Beagler, like like you said, like man, he is a special effects dude, and I I understand like he wants to put the good effects up on on the screen. I, I get it. There's a part where in the behind the scenes where he's talking like, oh yeah, when when Doctor Cruz <laughs> when he dies. The audience doesn't get get the money shot, so they're cheated on that death, and it ruins it. Immediately, you know, one of my favorite films is James Cameron's Aliens. And I immediately started thinking about Burke's death, uh, Paul Reiser's character in that movie. Dude, you don't see him bite it. I think that death is really satisfying. He turns around, there's the alien, close up of the alien, cut. You know, like, we get his reaction, but we're out. We don't see him die. I think that's satisfying. Like, I, I disagree with this guy just a little bit. Again, like, I understand he's a makeup guy, and he's proud of his work, and he wants to keep it in there. I, I don't think this Well, I mean, I could maybe understand with, with I don't the think it ruins character, the movie. because that guy was kind of a douche, you yeah, know? Yes, yes, and it his was character like, is It was like, you, you kind of want to see the douchebag really get his comeuppance. No. And so, in, in, in that light, where it's like, you kind of build up this guy being an asshole, and you're like... Yeah, he's going to get what's coming to him. And then when the time comes for him to get what's coming to him, it's like you cut at the last minute. You don't even really see him get what's coming to him. I mean, you know, I've said it before, and I know I've even said it on this podcast. Like, gore isn't everything. You don't always have to show tons of blood and guts and everything else to have something be disturbing. You know, if there was one death that was never changed, I wish they kind of would have kept the original death that they had planned for him in there. But that was the original death. I mean, it was just a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, the deleted scene I saw was just a little bit more of a cut. I don't know, man. It's not like they cut. Yeah, it's cut. not really that much. Because you see the blade go into his stomach, and it cuts his stomach open. I mean, like, I would, like, if I saw the deleted scene, and, like, yeah, he cuts his stomach open, cuts his head off, cuts his arm off, I'd be like, ooh, damn. Okay. He's like, finish him. I, da, 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 da. Exactly. <laughs> it's Jason from Mortal Street Kombat. Mortal, yeah. Mortal Kombat style on his ass. But... I don't know, man. It was just a little bit more gore. I, I didn't. I didn't think it was the end of the world. Yeah, and this is uh, this is also the first movie that the most probably notable actor that's ever played Jason Voorhees. The um, only actor to play him more than twice or even once, I think. Yeah, four times altogether. He he has played Jason Voorhees longer than any other actor, and that is Mr. Kane Hunter himself. That's right, dude. From and, Crystal Lake to outer space. And, and this is not discrediting to any of the other actors that have played Jason, which I know um, some of them were stuntmen. I also know that 
each one kind of play the role of Jason Voorhees in his own way. I just feel like with this movie, Kane Hunter isn't one of those guys where he's like scared to go out and do something. And I think that really shows in this movie, the mannerisms, like his mannerisms that he uses as Jason is really not like any other Jason. I guess the closest one I could really compare him to would be part six. No, what? No, what? No, I totally disagree with that. No, four. Um, no. Oh, we're four. Yeah, four. Yeah. Four, two, yeah. No, six is yeah. like, he's very slow. You know, he doesn't, there's no aggression there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and again, part six is more of like that Frankenstein, like satire bit that they were kind of, that vibe they were going for in that film. Or this movie. Yeah. And this film is serious. I mean, there's not, I mean, no, there's a couple. Yeah, there's a couple laughs here and there, but it's, it, this is played very seriously. But no. The way Kane Hodder, though, his presence, it's its not just the breathing and, like, his head turns. I mean, it's, it's everything. Like, he's actually kind of scary as Jason. Yeah, he is very scary as Jason. And I, this, this, I, this is why this guy kept getting the role. This character needed this. I mean, just something outside of I'm busting through walls and not, again, like you said, not to discredit anything because I like what Richard Booker did in part three and I love what Ted White did in part four. Those guys were great. And I mean, there was also a a couple of those instances, like I think one that he brings up is when she makes the lamp, Shade hit him. Originally, apparently, it was like supposed to hit him in the chest and, and Kane made the suggestion like, no, and hit me in the face with it. You know that that really worked out, and I, apparently well, there were a couple. I think the better suggestion in, in that movie. scene, the the better idea I thought he came up with in that scene was falling through the floor. Yeah, because originally down he was. Yeah, originally he was supposed to. Oh yeah, he falls actually. Yeah, through the stairs. Yeah, like he goes through them, but originally he's just supposed to tumble mm-hmm. down the stairs for a stunt man to come up to you and be like, "Hey, look, I." I'll go through the stairs. Let's do this. It'll be cooler on screen. Don't you think? Yes, I do. Are you going to do it? Oh, that's awesome. That's why these people should fucking get an Academy Award. Uh, You know, what the fuck? Well, hell, while you're at it, you know what? I've already fell through stairs. Might as well just drop the overhang of a fucking porch on my ass while you're at it, too. Yeah, dude, I'm a big, big, big fan of Kane Hodder. Um, And, guys, he does convention appearances all the time nicest person you'll ever meet he'll want to strangle you <laughs> when you take a photo with him um it's it you know let him do it it's cool it's cool it's it you know it, it's cool when actors get Which these is roles curiosity is uh, is keen hunter a rather big dude uh, he's bigger than I, I mean i always kind of pictured him as being like bulky but not super super tall he's taller than me I, you know, I'm not exactly the Jolly Green Giant. I don't walk in the room and like no. I would say look I over would think he would be between like five eleven and you know six one. Well, I'm just kind of curious to know. Is, you know, is he a really big, tall ass dude? In other words, like the guy who okay, played. So I just googled Jason it. and Freddy versus Jason. I just googled it real quick for you, Paul. Uh, Google says that Kane Hodder is six foot four inches. Good God! So. Taller than me, sir, like I said. So now you know yeah, the exact height gonna, of Kane Hunter. Yeah, he's got about a good four inches on my ass. So. We have to mention real quick that originally, before this became Carrie versus Jason, the original idea that Frank Mancusa Jr. had was to do Freddy versus Jason. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Yep, that was the original idea. Paramount wanted to... But no agreement could never be made between Paramount and New Line. 
Well, it Apparently was a bad it deal. Was a bunch of money issues. Well, no, it was a it was a terrible deal. Paramount wanted to release the movie domestically and let New Line do the international box office, right? Let them do that release, which at that time, what was this, 88, was not not the same as the domestic. Uh, movies in the United States were always, always pulling more money in the United States than they would um, in foreign markets. <laughs> and, of course, New Line was like, no, we're not doing that. There is no way we're doing that. Because at the time, in 1988, Freddy Krueger made a lot more money at the box office than Friday the 13th did. Yes. A lot more. For the dream child. No, the dream master, man. The dream master. Yeah, the dream child was part five. Oh, yeah. That's when their grosses started going down in that series. But part four of Nightmare on Elm Street almost made $50 million. And part seven of Friday the 13th only made 19.7. And I, and I still enjoy part four. <laughs> Nightmare on Street part four. That's, that's still a good movie. Yeah. And it's same thing for Nightmare uh, part three the previous year. I, it it made like 30 some million. And Jason, you know, these Friday 13 films were not pulling in that kind of that kind of coin. So, you know, a new line really didn't need Paramount at that time. They had the bigger property. So they told Paramount to go fuck themselves pretty much. <laughs> And they were like, well, we can't do Freddy Krueger. Let's do, let's do Carrie. I guess Stephen King was still pretty big in 88. It is a dumbass concept, but the way it's handled, it's, it's not really as dumbass as Star Mummy. I've seen that movie. It's called Time Walker. Uh, Shout Factory released it. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Go look that up. Time Walker. It's literally a space mummy. Um, everybody's IMDb in that right now, but like, what? No, fuck it. Actually, people that listen to this podcast are probably like, yeah, I've seen Time Walker. Fuck you, dude. (laughs) Before we go to trailer, I do want to call to attention the VO in the trailer. Percy Rodriguez, this beautiful man and his golden voice. He's voiced so many trailers. Like, dude, Jaws, The Exorcist. Oh, yeah, Phantasm 2. Yeah, we did that. Totally forgot to bring it up. I love this dude. He recently passed away, but um, if you're a Jaws fan, Google search "the shark is not working" trailer. It's it's a documentary for Jaws. The shark is not working, and he he comes back and he actually did the trailer for that documentary. Did the VO, and man, it's it's hilarious. But I just wanted to call attention to this guy. I love his work. Um, I I think he's one of the best trailer guys ever of all time. Yes, he does have a. A creepy horror movie trailer voice. So with that, this is the trailer for Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood. This is the one you've been waiting for. What's happening to me? Your psychokinesis and these delusions are... No, you're not listening to me! The one you've been asking for. Hey, (laughs) Tina, isn't this the way they wear their jackets back in the mental hospital? (laughs) Concentrate! Concentrate, Tina! The one you've been dying for. You people give me the creeps. Okay, you big hunk of a man, come and get me. Jason Ah! is back. But this time, someone is waiting. Jesus. 
13, part 7, The New Blood, opening Friday, May 13th, the deadliest day of the year. There goes the neighborhood. All right, we're back, and that was the awesomely narrated trailer for Friday the 13th, part 7, The New Blood, from Mr. Percy Rodriguez. Amazing again. But uh, moving on to this film, uh, Paul, what do you think of... uh, (laughs) The way Friday the 13th Part 7 starts with the previously last time seen on Friday the 13th. I don't know. I'd have to say, man, it's probably one of my favorites. You made the point of it being a trailer. And it kind of is a little bit of a trailer, but it's kind of like a, a little bit of a preview of the previous movies. And the way it's cut together and the way the narration is, and I just think, man, it's, it's awesome. I think it's a really... Um, unique and interesting way to kind of bring people up to speed, you know, because this could have been some folks' first Friday 13th movie, or they haven't seen Friday 13th movie in a long time. So I thought it was really kind of cool. Oh, dude, I, I love it. it. It starts off really good. It, it kind of turns into the, the previously seen on Friday the 13th because it, yeah. it, it goes from, like, all of the movies into... Kind of a kind of kind of a quick trailer summary of part six. I did notice that they used the footage though, like the grave footage with his uh like the grave of Jason Voorhees with the cameras like zooming down, you know, through the uh the iron rods. That's a- that footage is actually from the teaser. That's not from that's not from the movie at all. That's from the teaser for part six. If you want to save yourself money, uh kill two minutes of the first two minutes of your movie with a bunch of shots from all the previous films and just pay somebody to edit it and narrate over it. Look, dude, this movie was, it was, it was pretty short. Yeah. It's not a very long movie. And, you know, honestly, I think that's one of the things that I kind of do like about this movie is where I feel like some of the older Friday 13th movies are a little bit longer. Um, when it comes to storytelling, uh, this movie is kind of abrupt to the point you meet your characters the basics of the story is laid out and then you kind of just go on with that it has i don't know i think i think the the same amount of story is there but you're right it is it's sped up the exposition in the beginning is anyway it starts to slow down once the teenagers start getting picked off in the middle you mean the college students yeah what i don't know what i guess they're obviously i guess some of them have jobs in this movie and that's another thing like Okay, so after the montage, we get this prologue with yeah. Tina, your main character, as as a little child, and she kills her dad at Crystal Lake through her telekinetic abilities. <laughs> apparently, mom and dad, you know, they get into an argument about dad drinking a little bit too much, and apparently this guy's like the meanest drunk in the world because all she said was, you drink too much, and he like calls off and slaps the shit out of her yeah but it's just weird that the entire environment yeah it's like it's really awkward and and it feels rushed i don't have necessarily have a problem with it i mean i can understand if 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 the dialogue was a little bit different you know substitute you know dad being a womanizer where it's like oh i thought you said you wouldn't cheat on me again and he's like you know i'm leaving you pap the hell you will not man dude i think this you is know. fine I don't, I don't have a problem with that i think that's fine like little 
Look, I mean, the entire Friday the 13th has all been shorthand, and all the characters yeah, have been sure. pretty much stereotypes. So, I mean, yeah. dude, to be honest with you, I'm kind of okay with this. I, I don't have a problem with it. The thing I have a problem with is the continuity of this scene. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, in the previous movie, it was, what, Camp Forest Green? Yeah. And now it's switched back now to it, Crystal is, Lake. But we also have known that, you know, just because it is Crystal Lake with the Hudgens Farm, or the Higgins Farm, from part three doesn't necessarily mean it's part of the campgrounds. I I guess is the logic I've kind of come up with it, but no, 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 no. See, that's not right because at the end of part six, you see him in the lake. Oh yeah, he's you, in you, the, in you the see, lake of Camp Forest Green. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You see in part six the campgrounds where the kids are. The dock. Jason goes out. You see where he gets put underwater, <laughs> chained underwater. And in part seven, you see where he comes yeah. out, and where he comes out, there's this dock, and it's a different dock now. And there's a different house, <laughs> and the campgrounds are completely gone. Like once you put yeah, Jason like there, the whole, all the cabins are gone, and yeah. then they're just like replaced with summer homes. It is really. It's just like, man, we just threw all the continuity out of the last one. You could have completely went with the same camp, you know, Crystal Lake thing, and you could have still had counselors and and kids there and everything else. You know, once again, going back to part six. I think that was one of the things that I love so much about Park Six because we actually see it being an open campground, you know, where there are camp counselors, you have kids there, and we don't see that in any other Friday the 13th film. Well, you, you see campgrounds in other films, you just don't see the, the kids at the campsite. Well, yeah, I mean, what, what, the first two, three, there's three that actually have campgrounds in them? One, two... Well, two really doesn't even count because that's not even really a campground. That's kind of like a weekend. Yeah, that was like a training. Or, it, no, it yeah, was so a counselor two. training center or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So there's really technically only two times where you actually see Camp Crystal Lake as being a summer camp. But not only that, but the what really kind of fucking screws me up a little bit in the time continuity was was mean. You mean to tell me that Jason's been under the water since Tommy Jarvis put him under the water, you know there's at least a minimum of 10-year gap from when our main character in Part 7 is a little kid and causes the doc to collapse on her father because he hit her mom one too many times. Well, you don't really know. You don't know the span between Part uh, 6 and Part 7. 6 and 7, yes. But you know, you have to know that there's at least a 10-year span from the prologue to when the movie starts. Okay, from from when it picks up with her and her mom, and they're driving. Yes, and she's older. Yeah, when Tina's when Tina's a teenager, you know it's at least been ten eh, years. Maybe eight years. Yeah, I will give you eight eight to ten years somewhere in that ballpark. Because like, what is she supposed to be in the beginning? Like ten, twelve? How old is that little girl supposed to be? I mean, like ten years old is what I. I, what I, I, I would say. I would see. I would say. See, that's what I would say. I would say in between the ages of eight and ten. Like Jason being down on the water, I don't really have a problem with. It's the dad being down in the, in the bottom of the water. If I understand this movie right, because at the end of the movie, the way Jason is killed is Tina resurrects her dad, her drunken dead father. He kills Jason and bring. Well, he didn't kill Jason. He takes Jason back to Crystal Lake. So problem solved. But if that's actually him, did nobody get his body when he died in the prologue? Well, you know, and so it was his body just down there. They just left him. They were just like, "Yeah, fuck it. 
Like just, I said, that's another thing I kind of want to touch on. Or like, was the, the dad wife, at the end a ghost? Then we, we get the scene where we get all of our characters introduced, you know. Yeah, so Tina and Mom, they show up at their, <laughs> I guess, their old summer home, or I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a place they rent every now and again. I don't know if they own it. Not 100% sure. But they show up at Crystal Lake, and yeah. there's a house next door with uh, a bunch of kids. And of course, we're meeting the worst our victims. group of Friday the Thirteenth fucking kids out of all of them. I don't know, dude. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, dude. I mean, most of them are just pointless. I mean, they're all stereotypes, but I mean, aren't they all in the Friday the Thirteenth movies? I mean, I'll yeah, give you the but act- like for some acting's well, not for the some greatest. reason. I feel like in this movie they just we're gonna we're gonna put the acting a little on the back burner and just kill you guys off and. Chalk it all up for special effects. I don't know, man. I, some of some of them I do like. Uh, Laura Parker Lincoln, who plays Tina, I thought she was okay for the most part. I mean, she had yeah, to cry like job. all the fucking time. But like uh, Doctor Cruz, played by uh, that we- weekends of Bernie's, yep, <laughs> Terry Kaiser, of Bernie's, dude. Yep. yeah, Terry Kaiser. Mr. Weekend at Bernie himself. Give the guy a, a mustache and some sunglasses, man. I mean, look, he was made for this mm-hmm. movie. He's a dead body. That's probably, that's what I knew him yep. from at the time. They they introduced the kids next door. There's a love interest and with Nick. Uh, immediately, yes. And appar- apparently the and actor that you- played Nick and Tina did not really get along on set. And the chemistry no. kind of shows. Oh, dude, we okay. We got to talk about Tina's powers and and Doctor Cruz. All right, because there's this whole story going on with Doctor Cruz trying to manipulate Tina to keep her stressed out, keep her on edge, to make her perform her tele- her telekinetic powers for him. He's using this poor girl under the ruse of helping her. Like, yeah, under the ruse of helping her, trying to, to get over the illusions of her dead father. Her. Yeah, I mean, and he, he has wait, no Wait, 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 hold up, hold up. To make money off of her? You think he's trying to make money off of her? Dude, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously. Oh, if, I, if, you had, if you had proof and you would work with a patient for years and then you could actually prove that they had some kind of telekinetic or psychic ability... Dude, on the interviews alone, you could make millions. Well, dude, look, I just thought he was going mad scientist role here. This I guy does. That. Oh no, man! Look, this guy does crazy things in this movie. I don't know if the screenwriters were just writing things to like, oh, we gotta have exposition. There's a scene later in the movie where, like, you know, the mom finds out, like, oh, he's purposefully stressing Tina out in order to get a a, an, a telekinetic reaction from her. So the doctor later on, like, it's revealed that he has all these clippings of Jason that Tina finds. Once you get all this information, the the mom has. Him stressing her out, and then you know that he's bringing her back to her summer home where there was a mass murderer that may have rose from the dead and killed people. You know what I mean? I I feel like he found out about this Jason Voorhees thing, and he's like, oh, look, let's go back to her summer home. It's on Crystal Lake where this guy is. Maybe I can use this killer as another way to cause her, you know, cause her more stress. More stress. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can definitely see where your point's valid, but I, I mean, it's always been the impression to me that it, it was just all about money or furthering his career in that community. 
Like, I, I never thought it was kind of like some mad scientist thing. If he's got video of her, you know, moving the match, isn't that proof enough? Like, he's already got that. But no, what I'm saying, though, why have one video of proof when you can document, you know, 20 videos? I, I, I guess. I mean, you get famous by discovering then, a, a, a psychic, a clairvoyant, um, yeah. telekinetic yeah. fire starter. I mean... Her poor mom, like Miss Shepherd, you can see she's she's so desperate to give her daughter um, some kind of help and peace of mind that she's willing to go to this extremes to put her in the hands of somebody like Doctor Cruz. Well, I don't know. He he comes off as as like caring, you know, at the beginning. He's just really terrible at hiding it, and I don't know why the it took the nah, mom so long to like catch it. on. I think to me the scene that always makes him where 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 it kind of flips is the matchbook scene. You really see his true intentions. I would like to talk about how she originally meets the character Nick. To me, that's a bit of an odd scene. It's a nice '80s awkward uh, introduction, man. I thought that worked fine. Because they meet each other, she drops her suitcase out, and he's like, oh, no, let me help you. No, I got it. And and then he picks up the panties, and she gets mad, and, you know, it gives him a reason to come back as well because she forgot her sweater. You always find that one thing to go back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 80s, but I didn't have a problem with it. You know, it, it is what it is. One thing I did kind of find confusing was, okay, so Tina resurrects Jason Voorhees. Does she bring him back or does she wake him up and just like break his chain and release him you know that's a damn good question my man if if i watch part six part six part seven back to back i don't know it, it seems to me that he's still alive and she's just waking him up and breaking the chain you like you see his eye open and blink you know jason Voorhees when he's down under the water at the end of part six i think it's yeah, like the, the last part shot six. and it's like i guess he's like taking a nap under the water He's been down there for like uh, 20, 30 like years. Hibernation. <laughs> hibernation, maybe. You know, it's like Jason apparently hibernates. He's like a polar bear. He got all of his kills in. He's like, okay, I've murdered all my teenagers and I'll hibernate now. Yeah. If you watch part seven, though, I feel like on its own, it does feel like she resurrects Jason. I know this is like totally being completely nitpicky right now about this. It's like this guy, is, we, we've seen the strength that Jason Voorhees can exhibit, right? Why didn't he just break the chain? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Dude, look, yes. Tommy Jarvis put it on, and that chain was ordained that, by a priest, and it was soaked in holy Tommy water. Jarvis, and Tommy Jarvis was the death in one chosen by the Pope. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, whatever, man. Apostles. You just got to go with it. I guess this whole movie, let's just go with it. You know, the kills, once they start happening, he gets resurrected, and it's he's pretty much just bumping them off. So, uh, just out of curiosity, what, what, would, what would be your, your, your favorite death? Oh, the sleeping bag kill is my favorite, dude. And I actually think the MPAA oh, well, made means- that one better, because, like, the original cut, he was, like, beating it against the tree forever. And in the movie, he just takes the sleeping bag and throws it against the tree, and then just tosses it down. And it's great. That's one of the main reasons why I have a bit of respect for part nine. You mean, are you, you're you talking about the hologram scene in Jason bag, X. The that's, sleeping that's bag part scene in part nine. That's part 10. Or part 10. Yeah. Part 10, yes. Yes. 
sleeping bag scene in part 10. The two, the, the, my, my, probably my two favorite ones in this movie would be the straight up axe to the face to the one dude who's going skinny dipping with his girlfriend. Oh yeah, that's a good one. It's like, you could just feel the force coming off of that swing. Again, the way it's filmed. That's another one, the MPAA cut. And I think it works better. Because the way it cuts on the action and the way it hits, oh, man, it looks it looks way more brutal than when you actually see the yeah, makeup. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I do, I think that's impactful. I mean, I really like that one. That was very impactful. And you don't well, see yeah, anything think, at I all. Think, you literally just see him well, hit and his head starts going back. You know, like the victim's head? I forget what that guy's name was. He was like some douchebag yeah, Wall Street we, stereotype. Yeah, there's just so many people in this movie that you can easily forget their names because – Basically, their characters only exist for one-liners and or murders. I, I do enjoy this the sleeping bag death. I, I really think that's cool. Oh, the that's one, the best the one, one nerdy, The one nerdy chick, I think she probably has the lamest. Well, either the nerdy chick, one chick that's the somewhat hot redhead or auburn-haired girl that ends up hooking up with the stoner dude, which... The only girl in the movie that even, gets naked? No, there's the one other chick that goes skinny dipping. Yeah, but that's uh, dude side boob and butt. That does not count in the Friday Thirteenth movie. As, as, okay, as, okay, come okay, on, I come on, you. come on. We're not counting that. Okay, we well, do see some nips, but anyway, yeah. Side boobs, nips. What? Yeah. Well, come on, come on. Whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just gonna be like, yeah. She, she, she has a pretty lame death. She just gets thrown out of a window. Yeah, her her death is really bizarre. Because there's a, uh, she gets thrown out of a window, but there's a window right beside her. But when Jason, like, comes out of frame and grabs her, he throws her out of frame, and then it cuts to her going out the window. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. There was a window right right there, Jason. Why didn't you throw right out that one? That was still a lame-ass fucking death, dude. It was a bad repeat from part four. But part four did it way better. Yes, thank you. You know, that's, that's the issue, but... So yeah, everybody starts you know slowly getting picked off one by one. Um, I do like the the black couple um, in the movie. Their subplot is really weird though because they're mad at each other, but you don't ever find out why they're mad at each other. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're banging in the back of a van. Well, I mean, you see them make up, but you don't know why they're mad at each other. And every time you start to get the answer, like. The camera like pans over and they're like, you don't care what the black people are doing, do you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It does. It's really awkward when you watch it now because it's like, oh, these are the only two black people in this movie. They both have great deaths. I mean, regardless whether they're cut out or not, what you do and see in the movie, that is good. The party yeah. horn or whatever yeah. that thing is, that is a good death. I wish there would have been a little bit more background for their arguments or the reason why they were mad at each other, you know. But apparently they were attempting to have some super awesome makeup sex that just did not happen. You know what they were mad about? They were mad that somebody trapped that cat in a closet. How dare you? <laughs> Dude, that is the weird – because literally there is a scene in this movie where a character goes upstairs, yes. opens a closet, and a cat jumps out. And it's just like, what dick locked that <laughs> that cat in a closet? I'm, I'm guaranteeing you it was the it was the stoner guy. Everyone gets picked off. The the doctor, you know, he dies. We talked about that a little bit. The mom has got a death, but you really don't see the mom's death. 
We see, and that's another thing. That tells you how much of a of a fucking piece of shit coward Dr. Cruz is. He just grabs Miss Shepard, man, just human shield. Oh, dude, no, he's not a coward. He's a murderer. Because, like, dude, the way that thing is staged, and I have to think the director blocked it the way he did for a reason. The doctor sees Jason, and he looks at the mom, and he's just like, oh, no, honey, you are going down, not me. Jason even has a moment where, like, really, dude, are you going to do this? Like, Jason even kind of, like, yeah, yeah. he pauses for a second, like. <sighs> yeah, you almost get this vibe, like, really, you fucking coward, really. I don't know about how I feel about the doctor and the mom's death. I don't know how I feel about Jason getting, like, weapons from Home Depot. Because both of the weapons in that scene, they're really bizarre for Jason Voorhees. Like, the doctor gets killed with this, uh, like, gas-powered blade, buzzsaw. And then the mom gets killed with well, like, it's a weed. Essentially, it's a weed eater with a damn skill saw blade attached to it, and the Miss Shepherd straight gets it with a fucking bush axe. Is that Dude, what that is? A bush axe? That would be a horrible fucking way to die. It's just, it, but it's so I don't know. It's like because they look new. It's like Jason was like, "Oh, hold on, guys, I gotta go to Home Depot real quick. Yeah, uh, okay, I can, can I have the uh, the and bush axe and you. the uh, the motor bladed uh, circular saw over there? Okay, thank you. Bye." Yeah, I could, I could I could agree with you on you saying that. Yeah, that's a bit much with the you know. It's with the funny, man. Come on, it's funny with the chains with the skill saw blade on it. At the same time, dude, that bush axe, the bush axe is kind of right up. Jason's repertoire of handheld farming utensils that can be used as weapons. No, but it's just how new it looked. Yeah. Or like it didn't look used like the machete. Yeah. You know, like both both of those were great. And how he got the machete was great. That was a great scene. I still say I still say that's in my opinion one of Jason's most iconic or if not the most iconic weapon of his. Oh yeah. You know, it's machete. like it's yeah. like it's like it's like the butcher just knife and and Michael Myers or the chainsaw with Leatherface, and that's another thing is it's like I feel like it's a little bit Leatherfacey when he pulls out the weed eater with the skill saw blade. Yeah, it doesn't feel Jason, but again, no, it does not feel Jason. It's not the end of the world. It does not take me out of the movie really at all. This is just like again, this is extreme extreme fan like just nitpicks. Just out of, just out of curiosity, why is it that you never see the uh, really see the space nerds death? You do it's see like his you kind of do, but you don't. Yeah, uh, no, you see yeah. uh, Jason come up. He comes up behind him and uh, with a machete and breaks it down on his neck. And then you see his head in the planet flower. No, no, that's not him. Remember, his body is under the coffee table in the living room. Yeah, his body is under the coffee table. That, yes, that is true. That's yeah. the same head that was upstairs. That the girl that got thrown mm. out, the redhead that got thrown out the window? The stoner guy, the stoner dude's head. Yes, the stoner dude's head that was, that was up there. Somehow, he got killed downstairs, his head made it upstairs, and then it made it back downstairs in a potted plant that Tina later thro- yeah. throws at Jason, which is priceless. Yes, which is very priceless. And one of the only bits um, of actual comedy in the movie. At this point in time, I feel like the movie gets quite a bit escalated where it's like okay well we're pretty much in the third act now we've been killed off everybody and now it's time to kind of finalize it off 
And when when it gets to the parts where you actually see Tina standing up to Jason, dude, I remember the first time watching this, and I remember being like, "That's really fucking cool." Oh, dude, I I I think the end of this movie is great, and it's it's Tina versus Jason. Oh man, that stuff is great. When she meets him on the road, and mm-hmm. she and she electrocutes him, that scene's freaking great, and it just it escalates. Oh, I love from there. that scene, dude. In this one, you have a final girl, but the final girl really is more badass than the monster kind of chasing her. Yeah, I always wondered, like, why did she not just pick Jason up and just, like, crush him? No, why did she just, like, literally tear him apart limb from limb? Well, that's what I mean. What's up with with, with when freaking Nick gets the gun? Like, seriously, guy, you think this gun's going to do you any, any good at all? Well, I mean, he doesn't know that he's dealing with an unstoppable, you know, killing zombie machine. He doesn't know know that. Well, we know Draven Duke is the only man with a gun that can stop Jason Voorhees. He couldn't even stop him with a gun, brother. What are you talking about? And that's what I was getting ready to say. And that man couldn't even stop him with a gun. You know what I think about? You know what I think about when you say Jason Voorhees? I think about a little girl. Um. Well, I'm sorry. So, Mr. Duke. Sticking a hot what, dog. What do you think about Jason Voorhees? I think about a little girl in a pink skirt poking a hot dog through a donut. All right, okay. That That is from a different movie, as funny as it is, and we can't quote it every it's time awesome. we talk about Friday the 13th. <laughs> Still the greatest line out of any Friday the 13th movie ever fucking made. It is. God, it's so fucking stupid. So I don't greatly ignorant. No, but I don't. It's 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 awesome. Like I kind of know what they mean, but at the same time, I'm like, but why a little girl? It's wrong. <laughs> yeah, we will uh, further discuss this when we get to Jason goes to hell. I will say, out of any other heroine, Tina in this movie definitely puts up more of a fight than any other survivor female from any other Friday Thirteenth movie. Oh yeah, absolutely, dude. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, um, you know, she's got the fire starter gifts, you know, so she can. I, I, yeah, you know, and, and once all, again, all their confrontations are good. And once again, you know, you don't see any other movie where there's a, a head in a potted plant that Harvey Weinstein's drooling over and a couch getting thrown at somebody. You know, Jason, <laughs> let alone a- <laughs> we need a sound effect every time like Harvey Weinstein's name. Like pops up. I don't. Know, I don't know what our sound effect's going to be, but it, we need a, a Harvey yeah, Weinstein sound effect. To where it's like every time there's a potted plant involved, you kind of got to mention Harvey Weinstein. Oh, guys, don't don't look up that story. Um, don't don't Google that Please one. Don't. You can Google a lot of things. Don't don't Google that one. They'll give you nightmares. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Google it if you really want, but uh, we're just telling you right now. Disclaimer. Yeah, Harvey Weinstein don't. potted plant. Don't don't Google. Um, nope. You have better things to do with your time. Like watch Friday yeah, the Thirteenth like, Part Seven: A New Blood for the seventh time or the thirtieth time since it's its thirtieth anniversary. See what I did? Or how many ever times did they shoot to get bored of Melissa straight up taking an axe by Jason Voorhees to the head? I don't care what what you see gore wise in that scene. That axe hit that is, is such an awesome scene. It's fucking mean, dude. It's mean. Whatever cuts they made, they were for the better. 
It's like, that's what I love about this death. It's like, she's just going the fuck off, dude. Da, 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 and she just turns oh, yeah. and the door opens. No, she's in the middle of like fire. her speech where she's like, fuck both of you. Fuck both of you. I'm yeah. going home and going to bed she... by myself. Do you want to come? Oh, it's great. Yeah. No, it's totally great. And she turns, she opens the door. She gets a straight axe to the motherfucking forehead. Damn straight. Well, fuck that. Dude, that axe like is like her whole face, dude. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that axe did look like ridiculously it's like, it's big. It's so cool. It's like what I've always thought was kind of really so cool about the scene was is not the fact that she gets the axe to the face so much, is the fact that like she's got this like kind of weird dazed wobble. Jason just kind of like grabs her by her shoulder and just like tosses her like a rag doll over this TV and takes out a lamp. Again, we're talking about stunt people winning Oscars. That, that's exactly like what I'm talking about, dude. Like going over and being thrown like that. Like the minute you see that prosthetic on uh, Melissa's face, that's a stunt woman. Yeah, I mean, you're acting like a dead body, you're getting thrown across the room. Man, how many people could do that? I would brace for impact. You threw me across the room. I won't put my hands out to stop something. I'm not gonna just go be like, oh yeah, I'll go limp fish with it. Let's do it. She goes over the yeah. top of the TV, hits hits the wall, and then <laughs> goes behind the television. It is brutal, yeah. man. It is one of the worst it, kills. It is, man. It, it's, it's probably one of my favorite deaths in this movie. The only other movie we really see what Jason's face looks like is part four. No, that's and not true. No, you see his face in part two. You see his face in part three. Uh, you see his face yeah, in part four. You Jason. see his face. You you see face in f- uh, five. You see faces in all of them. He gets unmasked in every single Friday Thirteenth movie, bro. Think about he's it. He's not unmasked in six, though, is he? Yeah, he is. In the very beginning, he doesn't have the mask. Remember? Oh yeah. Yeah, he oh, picks the yeah. mask up. That's even in the beginning of this movie during the montage. But this is the best Jason has ever looked unmasked. Like they show all of the continuity and the damage. On Jason. And not only when yeah, he's on a mask, thing, like right? even on the hockey mask, you, they show the damage. Yeah, I was going to say, you and I could easily probably have a 20 to 30 minute conversation about, you know, the fact that you can see his spine, the fact that you can see his ribs, the fact that you can see the machete wound that was given to him in part four. You can see the propeller wound that was given to him in part six. You know, he's still walking around this entire movie with a big giant logging chain and I, I i think one of the shots man that i think is probably my favorite is when you see him walking out of the water and you can see his kneecap the bones kind of connect and disconnect as he's walking you know like i, I love the detail that is put into that yeah but I mean, when, he, when he gets a mask it looks great i mean J- jason looks so good in in all of this Favorite favorite look of Jason ever in this in this movie in Zombie Jason because I do like his look in Part Two, Three, and Four as well. That's like hillbilly redneck Jason, and that's different for me. <laughs> yeah one of, one of the bigger issues that I have with this movie, and this kind of goes back to the associate producer just a little bit. And then when Tina's dad come back, comes back to kind of save her at the last minute, he is pretty much a normal-looking guy. This guy does not have, like, white skin that you would see from being waterlogged underneath 
a lake for a decade. I know there's he no. He just has like a, a little algae on his face. I know there's no decomposition on him. Okay, I, I I get it, and I understand where the makeup's coming from. The makeup guy's coming from that. I'll be honest with you though, if you just shown me this actor that plays the dad in the beginning prologue of the movie, and then he pops up for like what is it, three shots that maybe last uh, twenty seconds, twenty five seconds. That he's in? Hell, I, I think it's less than that, dude. Dude, you know, like, yeah, okay, like 10 or 15. I don't know if I'd recognize him if he was decomposed. It would. T- I think it would take me a while to be like, wait a minute, okay, okay, that's the dead because he's in the, that's right, he's I in the bottom of the lake. It, yeah, it would take a about it that way. <laughs> it would have taken a little bit of time for it to register as opposed to just being like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. And also, too, like I'm going to give it a pass because – I don't feel like there's no way that can be the dead from the beginning. That can't be that guy's dead actual corpse. That's impossible. In the prologue of the movie, he gets drowned in Crystal Lake. The the pier has been completely rebuilt. So obviously his dead body would have been fished out of the, the fucking Crystal Lake. It's got to be like a, a, yeah. a ghost okay, or a spirit yeah. or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not, I have to agree with you on that. It's not out of line for the, the Friday the 13th films, too, because, like, all of these movies end in kind of a, a dream sequence or some kind of surreal setting. You know, like, you look at part one, part two, part three. They There's all, some kind of sense of fa- or some kind of false reality. Exactly. And this movie, it actually doesn't end on that. When the heroine... And her boyfriend get sh- uh, shoved into the back of an ambulance. The movie's over, and so I think this is like, regardless whether they wanted it or not, it was just like, oh, this is our attempt to put that ending in there. Well, I mean, I've often wondered. It's kind of like, well, what ha- what happened to the uh, Paul and Jamie after part two? Well, they they show you, you know, Jenny like- after part two. They show you her getting uh, uh, put into an ambulance. Yeah. You just well, don't know Paul's what happened to Paul. Her. You know, and this one yeah, actually she makes, has... Yeah, like, she makes some comment like, either where's Paul or what about Paul? Yeah, and this one ends with, like, yeah, yeah, very yeah. clearly, like, Jason's defeated. Yeah, they're sitting side by side in the fucking ambulance. Yeah, and the movie's over, and it's a very, like, a very peaceful, happy ending, and there's there's not a, a gotcha moment or, ooh, he's still out there moment. No, it's it's over. This this movie does not have one of those, uh, you know, those final scare moments in it. Well, they shot one uh, <laughs> with a fisherman on a boat, you know, out in Crystal Lake. And he's, you know, he's fishing. He catches a fish, puts it up on the boat. And then, like, Jason comes up behind him and sucks him down. But I, I man, and I, I, I would have been myself. I mean, I would have been like, yeah, cut that shit. There's no point in even having that shit in there. Yeah, the way it's shot, you know, it's you're, you're not staged. using anybody. Well, you're not using anyone relevant to the story, and basically, all you're doing is is you're pretty much pulling pulling off the same thing that has been done in other Friday the Thirteenth movies. I don't know if that's. Like, I, don't, I don't have a problem. Well, I don't really have an issue with the way this movie ends. Like, I, I really don't. I feel like I think the end's the best part of this movie, obli- dude. Yeah, I mean, she she defeats Jason thanks to Zombie Lake Dad, and her and Nick go off and do what the fuck ever. Who knows? He's gonna Nick's gonna finish night school, and uh, Tina's gonna go to prom. <laughs> 
and murder everyone that makes fun of her. Where she's going to have a bunch of pig blood spilled all over her and she's going to get super pissed and just decide to kill everybody. Is this blood? I don't like blood. I'm going to murder everybody in this room. That. I'm just gonna kill. I'm just gonna kill everybody out here. Carrie is so good. I re- I really really enjoy that movie. This is a good movie too, though. I mean, I look. It's definitely nowhere as good as Carrie, and <laughs> I would never say that filmmaking wise or or fun movie wise. Oh, hell to the motherfucking note. Yeah, hell but, to the note. There's no way this motherfucker touches Carrie in a million years. But it's a fun again, slasher film, though. It is a very fun movie, and you know, like I said before, it, it's kind of almost a bit relieving to see to see Jason, you know, after seven movies, finally meet somebody that's going to kind of, you know, throw some shit back at it. All right, guys. So I think that's going to bring it to the end here of our Friday Part Seven: The New Blood discussion. Yeah, my final thoughts. I, you know, I. I think this is a solid 7 on the slasher scale. A very 7.5, almost 8-ish. This is a really fun movie. It's got some inconsistencies overall in terms of the grand scheme of things, in terms of the franchise, but I think it's got a lot to offer, especially once Tina and Jason Voorhees come together, meet for that final battle. I feel it. I love it. Jason gets set on fire. Kane Hodder... I, man, dude, thank you for getting burned in a Jason Voorhees suit for us because that looks amazing. Like, Jason Voorhees gets ignited on camera and you see him burn forever. I mean, it, it's impressive. All of the stunts in this movie are impressive. Kane Hodder brings so much to Jason Voorhees, it knocks me out of the park. I just, I can't say enough nice things about his performance in here. Looking at the behind the scenes and understanding the history of the film... I don't blame any of this on the editor, and I don't blame any of it on the director. They were really doing the best they could while making this movie. I think they deserve a lot more credit. It could have been so, so much worse. And it's really a miracle this movie turned out as good as it is. In five months, especially. Like, come on, let's put this in perspective. Five months, $2.5 million dollars. On a franchise movie, everything is rushed. When everything's rushed, you're paying more. Like, think about what they got away with. If the director hadn't come from an effects background, there's no way this movie would have been nearly as good as it is. And I will simply point to Part 8 for that. The people from Part 7 would have made Jason Takes Manhattan better. Part Part 7, man. For Zombies, Jason, it holds a special place in my heart. I highly recommend it. I, I think I think it's a lot of fun, Paul. What do you think? Um, I think this movie definitely has an interesting um, an interesting plot structure uh, when it comes to the 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 slasher genre and especially the Friday Friday the Thirteenth universe. This movie has some of the best special effects. The acting isn't really that great all the time, but I feel. The special effects and everything else kind of make up for the lack in there of that. This movie um, went way beyond what we have seen previously in the the Friday the 13th uh, franchise. You know, Beekler, I have to give major props to that guy because he it almost seems that he was fighting a complete uphill battle from the jump. 
I totally give him props on that to, you know, kind of power through to finish it at the end. And I know that this movie has a lot of, uh, you know, controversy uh, surrounding it, whether it be the MPAA or, um, you know, associate producers coming in and cutting parts out or, you know, whether it be controversy on whether one of the actresses are still alive and that played in this movie or not. I really feel that this this is one of the Friday films that kind of stuck out to me because of the lighting and the aesthetic choice on coloring and the detail that was put into the special effects. Would I have to say this is one of my favorite Friday films? Yes, I would. Because it it, it just has something new, fresh, and interesting about it that... I had not seen up to this point in a Friday film. All right, guys. So that's what we thought of Friday 13th, part seven, the new blood. So that's going to do it for us tonight. You've been listening to the movie crew podcast. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is the movie crew at gmail.com. That's the movie crew and crew spelled C R E W E. That's right. Extra E at the end of the word crew at gmail.com. You guys can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Movie Crew Pod. You guys can give us a five-star or any star rating on iTunes and Stitcher. We would surely appreciate that. It helps people find out about the show. Paul, where can people follow you, good sir? You can follow me at Paul R. Williams J1 on Twitter. All right, guys. So like always, we close out a little bit with a, a piece of the soundtrack. and Tonight's no exception. Uh, we're going to play uh, guys. I, and I, I really did not care much for the music here. Paul, did you like the music? Uh, some of it. I didn't, I didn't think some of it was, was, was horrible. I mean, I could see where the composer was going. He was trying to kind of keep and pay homage to Manfredini, and, but yet kind of make it his own at the same time. So no, I'm not hating on it. I, I, my least favorite thing about this movie is the score, dude. Uh, Harry I mean, Manfredini's score. Super, it doesn't have that super funky flex feel like the soundtrack from Part Three does. No, that was sexy. That, that that that's different. At least that was Harry Manfredini, who did the scores for all of them until we get to this one, and then we have Fred Mullen. Uh, don't know his synth stuff doesn't really sit with that well with me, but. Uh, I don't know. Here you go. You guys tell me maybe I'm crazy. Uh, This is the theme for Friday the 13th, part seven. Enjoy. Enjoy. 